Welcome to Who Knew. We are fans of the current series of Doctor Who, and here we discuss our likes, dislikes, and insights into the modern regeneration of the show. Today's episode is episode 11 of season 2, Fear Her. It's 2012, and all of the UK is excited to host the Olympic Games. But on a suburban street in London, children begin disappearing in the blink of an eye. This episode is written by Matthew Graham, directed by Euros Lin. It originally aired on the 24th of June, 2006, and it was originally watched by 6.6 million viewers. This is Eugene. Let's go around to see who else joined us for Fear Her. Hi, this is Brian. Hello, this is Frank. Hi, this is Kelsey. Hello, this is Auburn. Arlene. Hey, I'm Josh. All right. Maeve, an elderly woman, is walking down a suburban street when she feels an odd disturbance. In the forest. That she hasn't felt since... <laughs> a few days Seriously? Ago. <laughs> it was there her neighbor trish asks if she is all right and mave runs across the street and tells a man to bring the children inside because it is happening again the man says the children are safe on the front lawn trish goes back home where her daughter chloe is drawing dale one of the children across the street suddenly dale vanishes and chloe's drawing of him begins to move the child had a name Dale? Dale. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Didn't pick that up at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the missing poster? Uh, the three kids who were missing were Danny Edwards, Jane McKillen, and then Dale Hicks was the third one. <laughs> Interesting to remember that this aired in 2006. So this was six years before the actual yeah. Olympics. Um, they're using the logo from the Olympic bid because they didn't have the real Olympic logo yet. Uh, and also... One interesting in-universe thing is this is 2012. This is also the same time period as the episode Dalek. Mm. So Van Stanton is in Utah collecting all his, all his artifacts at the same time. So Adam, same year. The least. ninth Doctor and Rose then are in Utah. They, Somewhere they coincide. Else. I would be interested to see if they ever are in the same time. time Day. Like, you know, in the same vicinity at least. I'm sure somebody's written a that, story about that or a comic. Fan fiction. Yeah. The beginning uh, with Maeve reminds me of like It or Nightmare on Elm Street where the parents know something's going on, but they don't want to do anything about it or they can't do anything about it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You get that weird, creepy vibe. This episode is very Twilight Zone. I don't know if it was inspired by any of the, the uh, old episodes. Not specifically, A lot of but I can see that. season were. Yeah. But this particularly reminds me of the one with the kid who has powers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With Billy. Push him into the cornfield? Yeah, Billy Mummy. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Well, it was in the movie, too. That's it's creepy. Oh, okay. Classic story. I liked how Trish asked Maeve, should I call a doctor? And she's saying, oh, a doctor can't help. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, you don't know this doctor. It's funny. It's a writing stereotype that all old people in a suburban yeah. setting know everything, <laughs> but nobody listens to them. <laughs> well, I think it goes back to the last episode you know, with Alton listing everything that's been happening. Yeah. And she's paying attention. She watches the news. She knows strange things are going on. She has the time. And so she's aware of it and not blocking it out, not think, not thinking it's a hoax or, or just somehow rationalizing it. it. Yeah. She's like, no, we've had some really strange things happening and something's happening now and it's not human. The doctor and Rose arrive for the Olympics and notice all the recent missing children signs. While the doctor investigates, Rose notices a car stall in the middle of the street. A repair worker tells her that something is wrong with the street because other cars have stalled in the same location. He was sent to repair the street because the Olympic torch is to pass close by, but the patch never holds. I love that TARDIS entrance gag mm-hmm. comedic mm-hmm. where it's, it's, it's he can't walk out and oh and so he just turns it a little bit and walks out as if nothing happened the writer matthew graham said that when he wrote that it was kind of daunting like oh my goodness i'm writing tardis materializes and he goes well to take off the weight let's make it funny and so that's <laughs> oh. what he did it was a good bit yeah, yeah. it was very good man yeah. who is the fellow in the poster that she looks at it was a winner of a TV oh, like a Mar- like show. A UK um, Idol or something like that. Yeah, The Voice or something. I can't remember right now. Talent. Yeah, <laughs> so she just uses it as her clue as, oh, we're pretty recent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're not too far ahead. Um, I also like when, you know, they're, they're there to see the Olympics. Mm-hmm. And so the doctor's talking about, oh, the last Olympics here, 1948, that was great too. And boy, they had a great torch lighter then. I can't remember his name. John, Mark, John. Mark. The guy's name was John Mark. (laughs) (laughs) The neighbors tell the doctor and Rose that the police have no clues regarding the missing children. Rose notices that they are being watched through a window by Chloe. They investigate where the children disappeared and smell something metallic. 
like a burnt fuse, as well as electric energy that makes the hair on his hand stand up. His manly hands, right? Manly hands. <laughs> <laughs> Not the back of the neck. Just no, hands. just his hands. This one reminded me more of a Twilight Zone. Yes. Where they start accusing each other and they're accusing the new person who was Kel, who was doing the street what, pavement. Uh, monsters, monsters on Maple? Are, monsters, monsters are due on Maple, maple Street, I believe. That's it. Yeah. And then the doctor just stops everybody from speaking. Fingers <laughs> on mouth. <laughs> or lips, on lips. Lips, lips. <laughs> and even till it rose. Rose, come on. She do does it. it begrudgingly. Yeah. <laughs> I also like earlier when Rose helps the car that's stalled. Mm-hmm. You know, she sees Kells pushing a car, and so she, being Rose, she's going to help out. So she goes and pushes the car. I mean, it gets the conversation going, but mm-hmm. it's also Rose. No, being I, cool. no, I got it. Yeah, move over. I can do this. <laughs> and the doctor, once he says, he puts on the guise of being a police or detective cop, he calls uh, Rose Lewis. And mm-hmm. when I first heard that, I was like, Lewis from Robocop? Like Murphy and Lewis? But then it's actually Inspector Morris Lewis. I looked that oh, up. Oh, okay. From the British show. But that's how I took it because okay. we're American. Yeah. <laughs> I also like in the when he is quieting down everyone and then we come back around the camera to, to Maeve, who has also got her <laughs> finger on her lips and is meekishly raising her hand to speak to the doctor. That's yeah. just, just a funny little moment that I like. That you want to point out. Yeah. Yes. yeah. But like she knows what's going on and mm-hmm. saying... I don't care who you are. I don't care what's on that paper. Can you help? Can yeah. you do something with this? Trish checks on her daughter, who is drawing a cat she sees outside her window. She tries to get Chloe to stop drawing and talk to her about her recent nightmares, but Chloe continues to draw. Meanwhile, Rose and the doctor watch as that same cat enters an empty box and vanishes. The doctor senses the same smelly, ionic power as before. So and we all saw, thought this, didn't we? Yeah, you know, Schrodinger like, lives yes. on that street. Yeah. <laughs> so really, the cat's not in there anymore. Sorry, Schrodinger. <laughs> or is it? And the cat, uh, doctor doesn't like cats because of because of the new earth. Because of new earth, yeah. <laughs> and uh, Trish does not want to believe anything strange is going on with Chloe. She's a good denier, and I think that shows with her relationship with her husband. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a good yes. point. And then Chloe threatens her mm-hmm. like, leave me alone otherwise i'll draw you draw so she you. knows what's going on uh-huh. but still at that point fine play your little game kind of attitude and leaves mm-hmm. so she pacifies it it's, it's, just, it's an interesting character in how to try and play yeah. trish mm-hmm. i think she does a good job in playing her but again back to that twilight zone yeah, episode the... where all the adults kind of placate right. to the kid chloe is upset at her drawings because they are not happy Even though she has given them friends, in frustration, she makes a swirling scribble on a blank page. Outside, Rose hears banging inside a garage, opens it, and is attacked by a flying swirling scribble. The doctor uses his sonic to immobilize the swirling scribble. Oh my god, I'm a walking doodle. (laughs) (laughs) They discover it to be made of graphite, pencil lead. Rose remembers being watched by Chloe, sensing something odd. They head out to talk to her. I I like how they bring it back to the TARDIS to be examined, because... Otherwise, the whole episode takes place in a, in a neighborhood, yeah. you know, so it kind of brings the sci-fi back. I thought that scribble looked really good. Yeah. I I'm surprised. <laughs> Something so simple. The, uh, the animation, the little bit of animation of the kids' drawings moving was really creepy oh, yeah. as well. With Rose is figuring this all out, I don't know what's going on with the doctor. In the last episode, we talked about how he seemed cold and distant and not caring. Here, he's reminiscing about the Olympics from 48 and not paying attention to the missing children's signs and not paying attention to what's going on because he asks Rose, what child? What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. With a scribble. Well, doesn't yeah, he but usually... Neither, but I don't know. Neither, it, usually he would be setting her up, but this time it doesn't seem that way. He's like... Oh, I totally agree with you. Well, I was just going to say, and neither do the people in the neighborhood either. I mean, they freak out in that one scene, but for the rest of the episode, it just seems like... They don't care. Yeah. It's just like everybody's kind of relaxed. Oh, yeah, there are kids missing. Okay, we'll keep playing. And don't, you know, oh, get the kids inside. Get the kids inside. Well, this is a crazy old lady. She might, you know, she can't possibly be on to something since three kids are missing. <laughs> well, Rose notices that they're scared and, and, and most people are inside. She says they're scared to death. That yeah, but takes the garbage But out. it's not consistent. It's just, you yeah, know, I mean, it's like yeah. you, you, you just nobody. Okay, this crazy old lady. But the kids are outside playing. Three kids have disappeared in six days. Well, two at the beginning. That's true. 
Well, that makes it okay. Then. Yeah. She'd still be pretty <laughs> tense. Yeah, it shouldn't yeah. be. But it wasn't Tommy. Blase. His kid. It was the neighbor's kid. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, and then you know the kid disappears, and every you don't see any police the rest of the episode on the street. I mean. Oh, the police don't have any clues, so they left. Right. No follow-up. Where are they? You know, this what's is, going on? This Why episode isn't... does have a bunch of convenient world, you know, reality for the story's sake. Oh, yeah, it actually gets worse later. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when they want to pave this adjacent street to where the torch is going so everything looks good. But kids missing... It's not a big deal. ...is not raising no. the flag exactly. for the police to stay around and see what's happening. That, that always did bug me. Uh, inside the TARDIS... Uh, the doctor mentions his daughter, uh, or not his daughter, but that he's dad. dad. He was a dad. He was a dad. Classic Doctor Who. He, the doctor traveled with the with his granddaughter. Yeah, with his granddaughter. That was the first companion. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's for Susan. Okay. It was mentioned in Eccleston season with uh, Empty Child because the Doctor Constantine mentions that, yes. and he goes, "I was." Yeah, I was a father and grandfather. And grandfather. Now, now I'm neither. neither. And the doctor says, "So, so was I." I. Mm-hmm. What happened to his granddaughter? In the Dalek invasion of Earth, they left her on Earth with, in a future Earth with a resistance fighter. She fell in love. And married David. And that was the first time a companion left the show. I did like how the doctor and Rose went up to the door and told Trish, Hi, you want to speak to your daughter? No. Okay, okay. goodbye. <laughs> and slowly walk away. Come on. You're like, take wait, the wait, bait, take the bait. Yes. Yeah. Right. I mean, they knew that you would Respond. want some yeah. kind of assistance. When they, they even said, like, okay, you can handle it all on your own yeah. or something like that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did you also notice that when uh, she's being attacked by the giant doodle, um, the doctor saves her. Um, she, you know. He pulls her up off of the ground, and they look at each other, and they hug. They wouldn't have done that before. Mm-hmm. It, now it's a very casual... It, it seemed different. It seemed like there was a little bit more of a, a, a connection between the two of them, rather than friends hugging in relief. Right. I, I kind of... I didn't think it was a relief hug. It was like... There was a lot of that interchange of just, oh, yes, and the little things that usually would not have a reaction they've played off of. Yeah. Episode. Oh, yeah. Along the same lines, because we just soon were holding his hand and, you know, she's pointing and he thinks she wants to hold hands in the TARDIS console. So. Right. Oh, saying, but also in several scenes when they're dialoguing, they're really close to each other. Especially in the console. They're super close. They're super close. Yeah. Like their faces are like a couple inches away from each other. I thought the TARDIS was bigger than this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like. But it's almost written in there as. Yeah, see, this is what couples do. They have the inside jokes. They... Mm. So they are in a relationship that they're unaware of. Agreed. Okay, yeah, okay, that... I'll give you that. Yep. They're like, they are in like in a boyfriend-girlfriend relationship. But they're not talking about it. But they don't talk about it. <laughs> yeah. And, but they're not, they're not, and not, they're not talking about it. And they're, they're not, not intimate. Talking about it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, they're they're like, but, they're in, there. but they're in a relationship. They're emotionally intimate. Uh, yes. Like a they work are, husband yes, that's wife. Yes, an emotion. Agreed. Kind of like Trish, they don't acknowledge what's really happening. <laughs> <laughs> Trish tells them that Chloe has been acting odd lately, but she is a good kid. Her father died last year and was an abusive person. Rose snoops in Chloe's room, sees all the drawings, and is startled by a noise from the closet. Downstairs, Chloe tells the doctor that she is busy working on a project. Rose opens the closet, and inside is a drawing of a monster with glowing red eyes. Wind is blowing, and a gruff voice states, I'm coming. I'm coming to hurt you. Rose screams, and everyone runs upstairs. The doctor pulls Rose away from the closet and closes the doors. Chloe says that the monster is her father from her recent nightmares. She also says that they will be all right if they stay together, but she is really talking to the other drawings. Rose tells Trish that Chloe has somehow been snatching the kids and trapping them in the drawings, but Trish is scared to acknowledge the truth. I really like how quickly we and the doctor and Rose find Chloe. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like this episode could have gone, you know, very like, oh, what's going on? What's going on? Like the audience knows that it's Chloe, but the doctor and Rose don't find out till much later. But I remember actually first watching it being very satisfied that, okay, well, this isn't the mystery of the the episode is who's doing it. it. We, we, get into the emotional journey of Chloe and the mom much quicker, which I like, which mm-hmm. is, was a good choice for them, for the writer. There's also 
we get into the investigation part of what you're talking about very quick where you see that look of the doctor to Rose where she goes, I'm going to hop over to the loo or the bathroom. Mm -hmm. And the doctor's like, yeah, do that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What was the episode we had recently where the doctor drew something? Um, Empty Child. Empty child? Like a potato. Yeah, it was a potato. Yeah. yeah. Cause here he's, uh, the doctor's was like, I'm rubbish. I can't, I can't do more than stick men. And I was like, yeah, well, I know we've seen your attempt, but I couldn't remember which episode. That's a characteristic it was. that regenerated. Yeah. <laughs> I thought there's so much in that look that the doctor gave Rose when yeah. she went to go Snoopy. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it was trying to convey, but he was, she was just looking, he was just looking at her going, yeah, go snoop around, go find something. But, there just seemed to be more in what that look held. Yeah, well, own, well that that, that becomes but. more and more of a pattern where she's off to. That's sort of what happened in that in the um, the television episode. What was the name of that one? Idiot's Lantern. The, the Idiot's Lantern, where where she's off doing her own thing, and he doesn't have to worry about it. He should have in that episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just but, it lingered on his face for such a long time. It's like, what are you trying to convey? What am I? I feel mm-hmm. like I'm missing something. You know, it could be more. It could be more of like the doctor being you know, proud in that moment of like, she gets it. Yeah. She yeah. gets it. And I'm proud that she's going to go investigate. He seems to do that this whole episode where she finds the missing posters, the missing children's posters. She's the one who remembers Chloe and looking out and having a weird sense. So the whole thing just seems like that. So it seems a little bit more something about she's ready to go off on her own. Maybe there's a point of this episode to, uh, to show more of that. Hmm. It could also just be that it's not, the best editing maybe cut it down just a little the doctor has is showing characteristics of getting really comfortable and when you're comfortable with someone mm-hmm. that you rely on you don't worry as much you start thinking oh well they're going to take care of it i don't have to worry it is a bit of a flip where rose actually becomes more of the protagonist because what happens to the doctor later in the episode is usually what would have happened to rose mm-hmm. yeah i want to know where all the other drawings came from i mean they have the three kids on this block, but there are other people on that wall. There's an Probably old man. Probably a bunch of missing like people throughout the neighborhood that don't live on that street in the supermarket. And there's they a whole barely, bunch of barely, animals. They're little animals. There's a snail, centipede. There's a dog. Yeah, they barely care about the children being missing. They don't care about yeah, it. Right? That's how they got rid of the homeless problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was joking when we were watching it that uh, later on in the episode, you see all the pencils she's using, and they're all full length. <laughs> None of them are worn down, or there's not a pencil sharpener in the room. Spoken by the artist. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was also interesting, just when she opens the door to see the drawing behind it, the wind's billowing yeah. coming out. So is that actual portal where there is right. something Probably, happening? Oh, yeah, exactly. It's very poltergeist. Yes, very poltergeist, with the whispering yes. and the closet. Or uh, the refrigerator and Ghostbusters. <laughs> that too. I opened up the closet and I heard a voice say, Chloe. <laughs> And we can't we can't let the uh, Vulcan salute go without imagining. That's right. There's our Star Trek reference. <laughs> That's what it's called. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And another mind meld, but that happens later. <laughs> but it's Jewish. It's not it's Vulcan. Jewish. Yeah. yeah. It, Leonard Nimoy got this symbol from a Jewish ceremony. Uh, yeah, no, you are supposed to know everything <laughs> sure. Jewish. Well, that 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 uh, I think the thing you have was one job that. <laughs> That symbol was supposed to be for five fingers, but he only had enough energy for three. So it's a Hanukkah joke for you Jews out there. Okay. God, you guys looked at me with nothing. You bunch of Gentiles. Hey, we left an empty chair. That's true. That's true. When did that chair get here? Uh, Some production things I noticed about, like, the kitchen scene. It's lit with that very noir-like thing with the Venetian blinds across everybody's face. It's just interesting. Which kitchen scene when they're talking to the mom? The mom downstairs, yeah. Well, the whole episode, like you're saying, it's shots like like a paranoid Twilight Zone. Well, there's Dutch angles, these Venetian shots, shadows, and then there's handheld. Yeah, the handheld. It's a lot of weird combinations going on. Can you clarify what a Dutch angle is? It's where it's tilted. It's not straight. And I also like how the doctor replies uh, to Trish, like, who are you or whatever? And he says, I'm help. It reminds me of Superman, like, who are you? I'm a friend. The doctor cradles Chloe's head and makes her sleep. And after the Vulcan salute, now we have a Vulcan mind meld. That's the (laughs) right answer. 
He begins talking to the entity that has taken over her body. It is an isolus, and its family about 4 billion entities travel along heat waves through outer space. But the space pod for this isolus was thrown off course and crashed to Earth. It found Chloe and merged with her because they felt so alone. Now, she is gathering the other kids to rebuild her family, but they are never enough. The closet doors begin to rattle again and her father says he is almost here. The doctor tells Trish to calm Chloe down, so she begins to sing to her. The closet quiets down as the dad fades away. This is where the episode turns for me and I start really disliking it. Because of the whispering? Yes. (laughs) Okay. I don't like whispering. I thought in Poltergeist... In the kitchen, that worked well. In the it original wasn't really, Poltergeist. it was like a but loud this, whisper. It wasn't yes, a creepy it's, it's, whisper. It's annoying. It's it the was... same reason Christian Bale, I didn't like <laughs> some of his Batman, but it's because of the voice. It's just, where are the drugs? Wow. And even, <laughs> it's that child's whisper when children don't know how to whisper. Yeah. So again, they whisper louder than they would actually talk. It's like people in theaters. They don't know how to whisper. <laughs> but I, I just don't like that. I didn't like that sound. Oh, I and I either. wish they would have done something different with the voice to modulate it somehow yeah. for that rather I, than yeah. that one. Now, I can yes, see that. It's a lot cheaper than having to go through any other modulations. Mm-hmm. The, at the end of the episode, all of a sudden it's like, oh, you're acting like a really good little kid. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So it's like, eh, that was direction that you were given. Mm-hmm. Okay, Chloe. Uh, stop it. <laughs> Did you guys notice the similarities between the Gelth and the Isolus? They're both yeah. an entity that comes into somebody else. They remind yeah. me of the Gelf. Right. Is it Charles Dickens? Mm-hmm. Episode. The young quite dead, yeah. Yeah, except the Gelf were are deceiving. Yeah. And Is- kill you right away when they right. enter you. <laughs> so. Where the Isolus are more benevolent? I don't know. They were children. They didn't mean harm, yes, but yes. they're doing what they. But I'm trying to find. You know what I mean? The help. word they're not. They're not wishing ill will to the host. I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. Malicious. Well, they're not malicious. Yes. I agree with Rose. Mm-hmm. This is a child <laughs> having a tantrum, and it's <laughs> yes. annoying. The little. Yeah. Terror. <laughs> yes, that's how children always are. But this is also the moment when the episode starts to really go downhill for me, too. Because it's like, this is where you start getting the, you know, the pontificating and the, without love, they are lost. It's like, oh, shut up. He yeah. doesn't vote the shadow proclamation again. Yeah. And they don't care. Yeah, yeah. they don't care. Well, would the kid even know? Yeah. No, the kid wouldn't no. know. Does the doctor know that that's a child at that point? He knows no. it's an isolus. No, not when he first starts talking no. to it. Okay, mm. so, all right, so, yeah. Using the TARDIS, the Doctor locates the pod that can return the isolus to its family. Chloe sees them and begins drawing the Doctor and the TARDIS. When the Doctor and the TARDIS vanish, Rose is left alone on the street. Knowing the pod is close, she asks the street repairman if anything has been giving off heat, but he just talks about the pothole finally being done after six days of work with hot tar. Rose takes a pickaxe from his van and begins tearing up the repaired section of the street, and she finds the pod. I love here his, already? Yeah. He loves his council. I know, we're going through this with yeah. quick. Well, council just means government. I know, but he loves saying the word. Yeah. <laughs> the council van, so the council the X. <laughs> he is very proud, proud of his job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he has a lot of pride in the work that he does. I would not have figured that out from this episode. I know, we would have never noticed. <laughs> I like the character. I like Kel. Oh, yeah, I, I, like, oh, no, I, I want a little bit more of him. I want him to come back somehow. It's like yeah. <laughs> he brings like, something to the show. Yeah, I like the character, and I like what they did with him. But I did also feel that um, he was stuck out like a sore thumb from the very beginning, like winking to the audience that this is going to come back, it, 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 the, the, the element that the problem solves later. True. But I think they made the character interesting enough. Oh, yeah. It was okay entertaining. To stand around. Chloe watches the news and sees all the people at the Olympic Stadium. She draws the stadium and the entire crowd vanishes, but it's still not enough for Chloe. She begins to draw the earth on the wall as her father's voice once again threatens to come back to hurt her. Rose uses the pickaxe to break into Chloe's room, the shining style, and shows (laughs) her the pod, but it needs to be powered up. Rose looks at the picture of the doctor, and he is now pointing at the Olympic torch. Rose runs outside and throws the pod into the torch. Feel the love. The Isolus sends the pod and leaves Chloe's body. This would be Brian's favorite part of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so sappy and oh. 
you know, it's like they got the the the, the, the announcers talking about the Olympic torch. Oh, it's more than a flame now. It's a, it's hope. It's inspiration. You know, it's 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 love. Shut up. See, I wouldn't mind that so much if it didn't happen at the exact moment that they were trying to figure out what to do, and that was the <laughs> answer. Yeah. To and then it's the same thing. Oh, I I I mean, I had that note as well where part that bothered me about Kel is she runs outside to figure out what was going to happen and he happens to be there at that moment she needs the answer and he's saying something that leads to the exact question that she's asking at the moment it's convenient everything about everything about this episode in that regard was very convenient it doesn't take (laughs) much to kind of layer it a little more yeah it was pretty late at night for the guy to still be working Right? Wasn't it? No, it was still daylight. No, it was was daytime. Never mind. But also, he's got to get it done before the Olympic torch comes by. And that's like five minutes. minutes. (laughs) Maybe that's what you're thinking, Elmer. It's a little late in the the game. Too close. Yeah. Yeah. It just wasn't really working in reality. I didn't say that. I was going to. I was like, no. No, do the pun. This episode deserves it. (laughs) Ness's eyes were closing at that time on the episode. It seems a little darker. Just a couple things of trivia. Um, the BBC newsreader who's doing the, it's a symbol of love. Mm-hmm. Um, he actually did the commentary for the actual ceremony for, in 2012. Oh, really? Yeah. He's a real new sportscaster. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's had, yeah. He did, usually, you know, you get questionable performances out of actual news uh, news people, but he did a good job. I liked how he went to Bob in the booth. Yeah. Bob? Bob? <laughs> um, and one other thing is when you see the photo, not the photograph, but when you see the, do- uh, the drawing of the doctor pointing to the Olympic torch and it has the rings. Notice the rings are not interconnected on the drawing. They're just five separate mm. circles because mm, you, you can't have, yeah. you can't do the Olympic rings. They're, t- no. mm-hmm. they're trademarked. Oh, yeah. And so they probably didn't have permission to use them. And so, so none of the experts, I never realized they that. wouldn't have gotten mm-hmm. What about the stuff that was hung up around town for the Olympics? That was an actual bid. So they got permission to use that. A, but he yeah. couldn't put it in the drawing. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, well, I guess a kid would maybe make sense, but <laughs> but right. the kid didn't draw it. The doctor yeah, did. Yeah, how did that? Oh, happen? that's right. Yeah, how could he draw it? How did he do that? Well, the doctor doesn't know how to draw, so I don't know how he drew it. Anyway, he asked so one of the other kids. That's why they weren't connected. <laughs> he invited another kid maybe from another he used drawing. Maybe a sonic screwdriver <laughs> to sear it into the paper. Oh. But that would still require him to draw. <laughs> also, that's no. the that's the part that we're focusing on because the doctor made no. Chloe made an entire stadium worth 80,000 people just disappear on television. Yeah, when they cut to that paper, it doesn't look like 80,000 people. No, but it's also like... 30 circles. Okay, you got the announcer going, but, you know, nobody stops the Olympic torch run and no. like right. nobody nobody reacts yeah. and okay and the you know the announcer is like okay but fine but look the guy's running and it's a symbol of love and you know like, like and you nobody, can't hand it off to anybody else because they're gone but yeah. you and have to he, continue running continue and they, running and they only had one extra doing the run so this guy's been running since the beginning of the episode <laughs> <That's> <laughs> you, way know, awesome. you know yeah you know and it's just kind of like what is the, come on there's just like no real world no you know like, no, like like the entire broadcast would have stopped it's and just been like everybody would have just been like focusing, going eighty thousand people just disappeared. We don't know what happened. Plus right. these three kids, <laughs> <laughs> and a cat. But no, it's and just kind of like you know the story requires us to focus on the torch yeah. relay. So the torch it is. About the yeah. It's the same the thing as the logic in the beginning with the parents being mildly worried that kids are disappearing. <laughs> I wonder if that old lady was watching TV and like you know she made a big deal out of it. Mave, mauve, move. And yet it's almost made up for with Rose and the who's going to hold his hand now. That's a great line. I love that line. You know? but I don't think it makes up for it. No. I said almost. Maybe be a good, good line, almost. but we reviewed the tape. He said almost. Then <laughs> Rose throws the pod. Yeah. You know, at least there's some energy in it, and it's finding its way to the torch. So she's not that great of a shot, which is right, good. Right, cause, right. Yeah, because it, it, it takes she didn't over. have to go, okay, we're going to spread this out a little thin, but at least here, it's motivated itself to mm-hmm. get into the torch. Thin. <laughs> Pounded into the ground. I just can't. I'm sorry. I just don't like Just that. like Ursula. All the drawings come to life, including Chloe's nightmare dad. Rose runs to the house, but Trish and Chloe are sealed inside. Through the front door... Rose tells Chloe it isn't real, just leftover energy, and Trish hugs Chloe, telling her she will never be alone again. They sing the same song Trish sang to calm her down earlier. 
the monster screams and fades away. I thought a real sad part of this was Chloe reaching for her mom. And Trish is trying to get out the door that's locked and not paying and attention to, to her Chloe. child. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Chloe's just reaching out there, trying to reach her mom. So it's just so sad. It gets me. I don't know why, but that scene got me. And then she goes, she can't stop it. She can't fight her father. And that's when she collapses, mm-hmm. sinks down to the floor. And that's when her mom sees it and going, I have been leaving her alone. And that's when she says, you're not alone anymore and joins her. It's like, yeah, to me, that was a good scene and very powerful. Yeah. This whole show's about denial. What you were saying before about denial, denying real world reality. So, <laughs> so all these things that we were talking about. It's weird how these last couple of episodes have been very thematically connected. It's all about loneliness and more deeper connected things where I don't think it would bother me as much if they were more subtle about the themes. It's almost like they're setting us up for lonely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. It, <laughs> one is the loneliest number. That's, a mu- that's as much as you can do for that. What <laughs> 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 Josh was saying about the nine thing yes the kids come back and they run to their parents and they hug them mm-hmm. and then they go ride in a bike and go yeah. play soccer yeah. <laughs> what are you doing you're just like, came back from you? nowhere where'd you get that haircut yeah like a kid's hair is so weird well that was in the drawing it's, i know had that. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's probably the kid's hair but it's just uh, your kid just came back yeah. from being gone no, for days very like story like a kid wrote it well, then this happens. Well, then this happens. Oh, then this happens. Funny you mentioned that because a lot of reviews that the writer got, kids liked this episode a lot. And the adults yeah. didn't. Graham right. did write this for kids. And the kids liked it. So I think that's a good point. Why, that well, well, tell me more about that. Because I would think that the last episode um, with Azorbalov, uh, that was written for kids. So, But he on, it was only the monster that was for kids for that episode. This episode, uh, Matthew Graham drew from his childhood experience with the kookaburra song Mm. so he integrated that into the script and then he also would draw drawings as a kid that would scare him and his friends and so that made its way into the script as well Mm. Um, but the genesis of this episode even though we're not there at the end of this (laughs) synopsis but russell had the idea of like a dorian gray type of story so you can see Mm. how drawings Mm. coming to life and Mm. terrifying things But yeah, but like you were saying, like uh, everything that's wrong with this episode are things kids wouldn't think of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But as you get older, you're like, wait a second, that's why I locked the door. Wait a second, that's why you stretch before exercising. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's immediately what I thought of. I can, on- I can honestly say though, I've never locked a door to keep a doodle out. Well, <laughs> was it walking or flying? I've seen the doodles in my neighborhood. <laughs> <clears throat> It just went all tumbling down. (laughs) Rose wonders why the doctor didn't return with the others. On the TV, they watch as the torch runner stumbles. Suddenly, the doctor picks up the torch and runs to the stadium to light the flame, giving the pod enough energy to rejoin its family. Yeah, he stumbles because he's the only guy carrying the torch the whole time. He's so fatigued. (laughs) And then this is another example of real world... being ignored the torch stumbles and some stranger just comes and picks it up and everybody just starts sharing because you know it's love and you know he runs he's out on the street but boy he makes it through the parking lot of the stadium he makes it into the stadium up the and the crowd probably stepped all over the guy carrying the torch because they were following the doctor i know by the way this crowd who you know had disappeared and was stuck on a wall somewhere. Yeah. Uh, uh, but they're cheering back on, oh, we're back in the Olympic Stadium. Okay, yeah. we're great. We're good. Let's just let's just ignore that never happened. You know, and, oh, look, somebody who we don't even know is lighting the torch. That's fine. Okay, good. Let's just applaud. Well, well Dave, you don't know what I just went through, man. <laughs> <laughs> just, just. Uh, some more production things about this. Uh, Russell specifically asked the writer of this episode to write it for his seven-year-old son. Oh. So that could well, have been Y2. Yep. So kids liked it. Don't think too much about depth to the episode. Like, well, that's oh. the thing. So I know if I watched this episode when I was a kid, I would I would have eaten all this up, and then I would have watched it 10, 15 years later and been like, wait a second. It doesn't quite hold up. <laughs> and there was a part of me when I was watching the opening ceremonies of the Olympics, I was going, it would be awesome if they had David Tennant right now. But 
Mm-hmm. Of course they didn't, and that was fine. The most we got was the sound of the TARDIS in the middle of the opening sequence. Oh, really? I didn't know. Yeah. When was this filmed There was supposed to be a bunch of flying TARDISes. They were going to have TARDISes flying around the stadium. I don't know if that got cut for budget reasons or weather reasons. But yeah, there were going to be a bunch of flying TARDISes when they were having the flying Mary Poppins. It's crazy to think that this was filmed 10 years, almost 11 years ago. And when did the actual Olympics? 2012, right? July 27th. 2012. I remember introducing this to, uh, at the time he was younger, he was a kid, and he loved this episode. And he, uh, he got stuck on the fact that how did they predict that in 2012, the London Olympics would happen? I'm like, I tried to explain to him, they do that ahead of time, but he just couldn't wrap his brain around it. But I was like, you know, he's just like, wow, they really predicted that. Doctor Who really can time travel. It was like that. It was that kind of kid logic that I was like. How old I'm, was he? I don't remember, but I was like, I'll just let you keep that. Like, is, was he a kid or was he? I want to say middle school. They did uh, not predict the output of the shot put. Mm. Papua New Guinea. <laughs> Papua New Guinea did not even make the podium. Well, maybe it was, it was won by Poland that year. Well, he said it was, he didn't say they win, just that they yeah, surprised everybody. True. And just, everybody was surprised they didn't win. <laughs> uh, this episode was originally going to be written by Stephen Fry. Oh. Yeah, I really wish we'd had that episode. It was abandoned because he was unavailable for rewrites and due to budgetary concerns. So we don't know what those are. Boy, we really wish we had gotten a Stephen Fry episode. Are we being too harsh on this episode? I mean, it was made for kids, and the kids seem to like it, so yay. Yeah, but we're not kids. And we're, but we're, I mean, that's I part of what like, we do on the podcast, that we are analyzing it. We're so. analyzing it. we got to be an analyzing But we are also bringing up that it was written for kids. Mm-hmm. Right. So. I actually enjoy this episode, except for a couple things. I like this episode better than Love and Monsters. I will so, agree with that. Mm. I think this episode has the right amount of scary. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it gets too silly. So I appreciate no, that. Right. I don't think it gets like Scooby Doo ish yeah. or anything. But a flying scribble uh, isn't. <laughs> has oh, a, so that's no. a good amount. So yeah, I'm, I'm just teasing. Yeah, yeah. That was I'm teasing. Kind of scary. Because if you mentioned a flying scribble, <laughs> you would yeah, think that would be a lot more comic. It was also quick, and it mm-hmm. was also made sense to the logic of the story. Yeah. Oh, I agree. I liked you it. Know, oh, that was fun. Wow, this is actually led. Was kind of cool. mm-hmm. That you know, that was clever. I mean, it's still just like it's a flying doodle. And it furthered furthered the plot. Yeah. Yes. It gave them I, a clue. I, I mean, I do think that these last two episodes, Love and Monsters and Fear Her, it was their first attempt at Doctor Light stuff. This isn't the Doctor Light episode Love and Monsters is, but these are the two that they were doing concurrently. I think they both suffer from that. I really do think like the production teams of veterans were split between the two episodes and they all didn't get as much love as they probably should have to be made. Love. (laughs) Because really, you're right. The doctor didn't move the story along very much except for finding where the pod was. I mean, he has the exposition of this is what's going on. Now Rose take over. Yeah. This is a Dr. Light-ish episode because he does disappear for... Medium light? Yeah. (laughs) For a good portion of the third act. Yeah. And he only comes back at the climax of the third act. And I mean, this is the first time that they did it. And, you know, they say that they liked the results. That's why they continued them. Mm -hmm. Definitely when they move on... It's better. better. There's a really good episode. You know, they really... You know, now they kind of got... They knew what they needed to do. And, they and definitely they learned from these two experimental and episodes. I do also feel that this one kind of suffers from being right before the two-part season finale in that they're really trying to um, establish where the characters need to be in, a short in order to time, do the, the wrap-up. Because that final scene... When they're walking down the street. It feels shoehorned in. And then all of it, you know, it's like everybody's happy. Everything's great. Look, we're not even acting like 80,003 people disappeared. (laughs) And then all of a sudden the doctor's like, something's coming. Mm. There is that tag Mm -hmm. that could be on any episode. Mm -hmm. And it really is like from, where are you getting that? You know, Mm -hmm. just, and and then I also feel that we see in subsequent seasons that that kind of foreshadowing is done much better. Yes, Mm. I agree. Yeah. I like the story. I, I like what happens, but it, a lot of it's written very basic. Yeah. Again, for a seven-year-old. If you are listening and haven't watched the episode in a while or haven't seen it, Rose says that they, that universal they, keep trying to split split us up, but they never, ever will. And the doctor says, 
never say never ever. And this, this ominous feeling comes over and there's a storm coming. And that is just a big lead in into the finale for the season. Again, it's so shoehorned in. It doesn't fit with the rest yeah, of the episode it, tonally. Yeah. But that I think was written and whatever the episode is going to be right before the season two part finale, that's where it's going to go. Mm-hmm. No matter what that episode was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It just is a shame that it has to be one of these lighter episodes or lower budget episodes. To lead into the finale. These two episodes needed more work. But and Satan Pit is saying that, you know, something bad's coming. Mm-hmm. And that worked. You know, the Satan Pit foreshadowing yeah, I mean, so they made have been sense. Doing this this one didn't make in. sense. When you have an ethereal being telling you something that no one else knows, it makes a little more sense. Yeah, yeah. Right. you know, like, dude, right. like Josh was saying, have the script have another pass where it's like, maybe the reason this Isolus got blown away from its family has something to do with, you know, yeah. universes breaking apart, something, you know, yeah. just, just a little else. something where it's like, yeah. you know, and just have the doctor just be like, I don't know why there would be a crossover between universes. Mm-hmm. Boom. Mm-hmm. Foreshadowing. This also like with him lighting the torch at the Olympics at a televised event um, starts over the next few seasons of the doctor being almost saving world known yes. but but anonymous yes. at the same time yeah so um yeah so much for erasing all of his you know yeah. bad wolf virus right uh, it's, like, yeah. oh, it's starting over again and they do touch on that no they do you i know, know later they, on. they bring that bring that up but that's something mm-hmm. like at the end of tenant's run as much as i was going to miss him it got to the point where the shows were so grandiose. With with, I was like, all right, already. What? What? This is like this. This isn't Doctor Who anymore. It's not the secret guy being the best detective in the room. It's this no, world. That's Sherlock. What's that? That's Sherlock. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. <laughs> you know, it's it's not Sherlock anymore. It turned into um, a superhero. You know, by the end. So and then so they kind of reset. Which worked, but this I feel this was sort of like, and when I think of that, I think of him lighting the torch at the Olympics. And in in again, this is just an episode that it's forgettable. But I decided to focus on the good stuff, and you know, the drawings, yeah. animating. Yeah. Uh, Frank does not like it as much as I. Do. <laughs> it's got creepy stuff in it. You the closet. I mean, it's got a lot of good stuff in it. Mm-hmm. It's just it's the, that that part of the writing. As someone who's reasonably savvy with what you're watching, it's, it sticks sticks out. Hmm. But yeah, no, I still enjoy it. I wouldn't skip over it when it would come mm-hmm. up. Uh, One little thing, mm-hmm. and I don't know if it means anything. I want to know, when they're showing Chloe's computer, they have a little heart that says password bees. I just want to know, and I don't have the answer to this. Why did they show that? Why is it on there? Does bees mean anything? Is that a foreshadowing? No, is that a heart? Yeah. The only thing I can think of is season four, but I don't even know if that's confirmed. Mm. Yeah, it just it yeah. just seems I don't know why they chose bees. Mm-hmm. I think I mean, it's it could be other kind of password, but <laughs> I think it was intentional. Do you have the idea for the future episode just stocked away? I mean, they always weave something into it. So mm-hmm. when I saw it, it was is this something? Am I looking for something? What's Maybe happening? at that point there was because uh, you know there's there's that thing that keeps happening every so often. Where they're saying the bees are mm-hmm. are what's the word I'm looking for? Disappearing. Are disappearing, and it's an issue. Uh, 2006 is that when people started to talk about it, or was it the <laughs> uh, solace travel like bees in a swarm? There are a huge amount. Mm. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I just ruined it for you now. Going, no, it's more than that. Uh, Torchwood is mentioned in this episode by the commentator when the Olympic crowd disappears. It's very faint, but oh, you can hear him. Hear Maybe he said the torch would be here in about five minutes. <laughs> I actually the think Josh might be right. <laughs> we will Maybe have to listen to that again. The it's torch right. could make it. And you heard the torch would torch make wood. it. So the listeners, let us know what you hear for this part of the episode. Where is it supposed to be? Right when the right when uh, Chloe draws the people in the stadium, they disappear, and then she keeps doing something. So it, they're tight, kind of like ta- overlapping each other. So it's hard to hear it. I do want to mention. I'm always talking about when the doctor gives these grand speeches of humanity's greatness. I feel like that's what the newscaster was doing when he was talking about the torch. But when the doctor does speeches like that, we're all like, yay! <laughs> because it's, but, a, it's an announcer. We're not invested in him. Yeah. We're, we're invested with the doctor. 
It also it also reminds me of Bob Costas, who does talk that way, and I just can't stand him either. I think that's the moment in the script where it has to happen, and he would have. Oh, there you go. Yeah, he would have normally done it. That's what I'm saying. He was trapped. Yeah, they had to convey that message in a different way, but not having the doctor do it. Maybe they would have like. Sorry, uh, audience. I've I've just been receiving this child's drawing in crayon and it says it says it's a symbol of love and it's a symbol of hope i don't know where i'm getting this from how about that <laughs> maybe the drawing would be like torch equals heart e- equals thumbs up <laughs> who would we wreck who is this episode good for meaning this episode is good for who <laughs> a, a new who viewer a casual whovian a fan of the show or a diehard Whovian completist? Oh boy. So fear her. Um, I, I will, the previous episode I went with the, the fan. Uh, this does have a little bit more of the doctor and Rose. So I'm going to upgrade this episode to a level two class two episode uh, for a casual viewer. There are some good parts. It's not the most exciting like I wouldn't introduce anybody to this epi- with the, with this episode, but it's not a terrible episode. Well, I, like I mentioned, um, I don't. This is a forgettable episode, but I, it's not an episode I hate. I think though I liked it better the f- very first time I saw it. I didn't really enjoy it so much on the second or third view, and I don't know how many times I've watched it. Um, I do think if someone is watching through the series casually that I don't think it would turn them off from Doctor Who. So, and I don't want to say that only fans would like it because I'm a fan and I don't really particularly like it, but that doesn't mean it should be in the diehard category either because it's not dislikable. Uh, I remember liking this the first viewing and that might have been because it was closer to the Olympics. You might buy the hope and peace yeah. and love and joy because you do feel that when you're watching the Olympics, you know, and we might be able to like digest that portion of the, the episode a little bit better if you're already in that space, space of like feeling those things. <laughs> and I'm going to say it's good for a casual viewer category two. I don't think it's a good one to introduce. So that category one's out for me. The second one, if you're 12 or under as a casual viewer, then maybe. Um, I don't know many of them that would want to watch this. Before doing the podcast for the last episode and this one, my memory would have put both of them into category four. But having watched it again, you get to see some of the good parts that you had forgotten because of the negative memories. Um, so I don't know, would I put anything else in for, uh, so I'm going to just say for, uh, you really have to be a fan, I think, to like this. If you're just a casual viewer, uh, for me, that's a no. So it'd have to be category three. You'd have to be a fan. Uh, for me, I'm definitely going to put this into, you have to be a fan category three. Um, you know, it's not just for diehards, um, you know, if you're a fan, you know, it's an episode of Doctor Who, again, not particularly memorable, but it's very much an example of what the show does. So, fan. I would say, ooh, this is hard because I don't hate it, but I don't love it. Um, I would say for a fan, so it would be category three, but if I knew children, which I don't. <laughs> I would say it's a number one because it's such a child-friendly episode. It has like a good villain. It has like, it just culminates into something fun. So this is something that I would show a child. Yeah, I think for an adult, it would be for a fan. But uh, for anyone, like you said, under 12, either the first two, like someone who's never seen it or casual. Because I think kids will enjoy all everything that happens because they don't have to think about the, the real-world reality of the things that don't work. Um, and as a fan, I wouldn't call myself a diehard, I'm, I'm, but I'm a big fan. I enjoy it. I, I, I remember, again, liking this one more than I remembered. So you're split? Is that how you're... I am split. Okay. Because for kids, which a lot of kids watch the show, um, I think it's very accessible. 
It sounds like it's number three, but with exceptions. Yeah, three with exceptions. As to where to put it on your little mm-hmm. yeah. sheet. I put uh, it on a, a, a couple of quid pro quos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, what I like about this episode, too, as well, is uh, the dichotomy, if that's the right word, of the villain not being bad. Yeah, uh, but it's nice, also very right. scary, it's very threatening, and, and it, it has malintent. But in the end, the whole point of defeating the villain is to help the villain because the villain's not really bad. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's great. And uh, that happens reasonably often in the series, mm-hmm. but this is a big one for that. So that part of the writing, I think, is kind of brilliant. Because you don't think, like, oh, they defeated the villain. No, they actually helped the villain. Uh, and it's also a good lesson for kids, too, to think, if someone's being mean to you, think about what they may be going through. It's not just mm-hmm. about what they're doing to you. It's about what, what may be happening to them. That's a very good point. And that's one to grow on. Mm-hmm. I'm going to move it to number one. <laughs> Too late. Number Too late. Two. Wait a minute. <laughs> Too late. Too late. Uh, one other thing for me, this episode, um, other than introducing it to people and kids, they like it. So, yeah, and again, it's not an episode I seek out, and it's not one that I'll pass up. Everybody does live at the end of this episode, like oh, in The Empty Child. Oh, thanks Eugene. Oh, we're at the end of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to have to go with a fan. No, I was thinking about maybe I should change it to one. Right. No, don't do that. <laughs> okay, let's not go crazy. <laughs> All right, guys. <laughs> so that wraps up Fear Her. Join us next time when the future becomes the present. You've just listened to an episode of Who Knew? Our wonderful theme music is by Michael Grady. You can find his work at theuniverseexplodes.com. You can find this show in several places. Follow us on Twitter at Who Knew Podcasts. Subscribe, review, and listen to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Or our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Who Knew Podcast. All our episodes are on whonewpodcast.com. You can leave comments there or email us at whonewpodcast at gmail.com. This podcast is inspired by Dr. Who, the longest running sci-fi show in history and especially the revival spearheaded by Russell T. Davis. Thanks to Russell, Sidney Newman, Verity Lambert, Ron Grainer, and all those involved in the adventures of our favorite Time Lord. Your work continues to inspire and entertain. <laughs> hey, hey, Albert, do you think whispering is more creepy or annoying? I think it's more annoying in this instance. Please stop it. I would concur. I think Josh's whisper is creepy. All right, I have so, hey, are we recording? Always. Oh my god! <laughs> oh, I forgot to press that button. <laughs> we do the whole show. Whispering's annoying. <laughs>